So I think it's about a lot of a lot of different things. Our relationship with celebrity and particularly the pressures that we put on young women, um, young women in the spotlight, but also young women generally. I think, as you were just saying, a huge part of it for me is about forgiveness, like forgiving other people and also being able to forgive yourself. Because at the end of the day, we are humans and humans make mistakes and you can't stop that. You can try to be the best person possible, but at some point you're going to hurt somebody or like not live up to who you want to be. And the question is, you know, what do you do to make it right? So I feel like so much of this book is these characters trying to make things right. Welcome to the Friends and Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Four New York Times bestselling authors, one rock star librarian, and endless stories. Join Mary Kay Andrews, Kristen Harmel, Christy Woodson Harvey, and Patty Callahan Henry, along with Ron Block. As novelists, we are four longtime friends with 70 books between us. And I am Ron Block. Please join us for fascinating author interviews and insider talk about publishing and writing. If you love books and are curious about the writing world, you are in the right place. Welcome to the newest episode of the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block podcast. We love when a book comes along that reminds us of our younger days with compelling characters that force us to rethink so much of our own choices in life. It's especially amazing when the author does this in a dishy fun way with razor sharp wit and biting social commentary. Buckle up for this one. I am Ron Block. And I am Christy Woodson Harvey, and we are so thrilled to be joined by Laura Hankin today, who is an author, screenwriter, and performer who writes novels that you can read on a beach, but also for a book club. Her books include Happy and You Know It, a book of the month and library read selection, A Special Place for Women, as seen on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and The Daydreams. She has several TV film projects in development, and her musical comedy has been featured in outlets like The Washington Post and The New York Times. She's based in Washington, D.C., where she once fell off a treadmill twice in one day, (laughs) which we're going to have to ask her about later. So welcome, Laura. We're so glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. And I love that now, like, falling off a treadmill multiple times is my thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes. it gives you like something, you know, when people are like, what's an interesting fact about you? And I'm always like, oh, I don't know what's interesting. You have one like just. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the nicest thing about it, I think, is this happened to me when I was in high school and I was so embarrassed. I cried for like weeks about it. I was like, this is the worst <laughs> moment of my life. And now it's like my favorite thing. It's like your redemption story. Like now you get to use this in your grown up life to be like, I fell off a treadmill twice in one day and people are like, cool. Yeah, good for you. Exactly. <laughs> now it's your badge of honor. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. So let's dig into the book. Laura, the plot of this book is, I can't think of a better word than delicious. From page one, when the cast of a formerly popular teenage sitcom that absolutely went up in flames, and you have to read the book to get to that, people. <laughs> have the chance to reunite. What could possibly go wrong? The idea of reunion shows and reboots is obviously very popular right now. So this felt incredibly salient and realistic. What was the first spark of an idea for this novel for you? Where did the idea come from? 
Mm, well, I have had this little note on my computer for years and years that just says Destiny's Child at the Super Bowl, because mm. I remember thinking mm. it was so interesting when Beyonce brought them to perform with her when she was doing the halftime show. Um, and, you know, she had become this superstar and their paths had gone differently. And I was like, what are those dynamics, you know, for these women to for Kelly and Michelle to be in front of everyone again um, with their incredibly close friend who has gone in a different direction. So that's always been in the back of my mind. But then, yeah, I think over the past few years, one, I got very into early 2000s nostalgia, as a lot of us did, I think in part because, you know, the world has been particularly scary and unpredictable recently. And um, it, it was just it felt comforting to go back to those shows and those movies and those songs. But, you know, as I was so excited for all the reboots and the reunion tours of like the Backstreet Boys going on reunion tours (laughs) and the Spice Girls. Um, I I kept noticing how a lot of the young women who had been such bright stars at the time really had struggled in a way that their male counterparts had not. And so the novel came from there. And that that comes through really clearly. And I know this is not because obviously they were not a musical group at all but there were parts that like gave me saved by the bell vibes <laughs> like, like they're really squeaky clean like they can't even kiss you know like yeah. they're like anyway totally I, for me it was also a little bit high school musical um oh, yeah yeah it was just like so wholesome you know much more much more because they were singing right but mm-hmm. I, I just was thinking of like zach and kelly anyway <laughs> So is there an actual real reboot that you want to have come back as a reunion? Oh, my gosh. Well, it's so tough because I honestly think I've been a little disappointed by some of the ones that have happened. I don't know if you all feel this way, but I I won't name names. But, you know, one of my favorite shows did a, a reboot like a you know, just a few episodes. Um, and it was not what I wanted it to be. And I was like, oh, I kind of wish it was just left so perfect in my memory. <laughs> so I'm almost hesitant. really yeah. weird about reboots because sometimes I'm just like, I know this was really bad, but I'm so happy to like go back to that happy place that I'm just fine. Yeah. How bad. Well, speaking of Saved by the Bell, apparently that had like a great reboot that got amazing reviews. I have not watched that. I need to. I need to. And, you know, I mean, I I don't even know that I like watch. I remember it was always like a rerun on TBS when I was like a kid and I was like eating breakfast in the morning. Mm. I don't know. (laughs) I will say I got excited when uh, it was announced that they were going to do a Lizzie McGuire reboot Mm because I was I was like just the right age for Lizzie McGuire. Um, And then it didn't happen because I think they had some creative differences over like, how do you age up Lizzie so that she's an adult while still maintaining the wholesome tone of this show. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of hard. I think even like full house, I mean, Mm. I think they did a good job, but there were definitely some things that like I had my, like my son would be watching and I'd be like, Oh, that's not appropriate. You know? No. (laughs) Did not realize that at the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like the, you know, anyway. But they did a full house. They did a full house. Re- reunion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and it, I thought it was fantastic. It was like, great. I it was a really good job of like aging them up. And like, I thought it was great. I'm just, you know, I was like, they were, you know, it, it is hard to make these children on screen become like real adults. And absolutely. You know. mm-hmm. Anyway, let's, let's talk about. 
about you, Laura. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine just talking about pop culture for an hour and a half. <laughs> Welcome to the 90s TV show reboot podcast. <laughs> um, but Laura, I fell in love with your writing when I had the privilege of blurbing Happy and You Know It. And I immediately had my book club and all my friends read it. And um, I used we used to have this group of friends. We all had babies, I think, when the book came out. And we did this thing called Prosecco and Playdates. And I was like, wait, you guys, we need to read this book. Like, we're not these, we're not these moms, are we? And then I got to the end and I was like, nope. We are not. Not these moms. We are fine. Um, but if I'm not the president of your fan club, I'm definitely a charter member because I think I've read all your books now and I recommend them tirelessly. And what I think is so great about your writing is that it has this very Laura Hankin voice to it. And you do tend to hit on similar themes of female friendship and usually a delectable disaster somewhere along the way that makes for a really good read. But each of these novels feels very distinct and very different too, which I think is a really, it's a, it's a difficult skill to master as a writer, I think. And so I'm just wondering, you know, how is writing your, this is your, this is your fourth novel, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So how is writing your fourth novel different from writing your first? And what have you learned along the way? Oh, well, I will say over time, I've become so much more of a plotter than a pantser. You know, the first book I ever wrote, I was like, oh, I think they have a fight at some point and then there's a happy ending. <laughs> Let's go. Um, and with this one, I, I wouldn't say I do a full outline or anything like that, but I had maybe you know, two pages of the important plot points and like a lot of the big twists. And I just, I let myself think about it a while longer before I dive into the writing of it. Um, so it's, it's gotten a little bit easier <laughs> in that way, I will say. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I feel like with every book, I do have these things that are similar and it's like the taking people who have made mistakes and trying to build empathy for them because I feel so much empathy for them and the complicated female friendship and the humor along with plot twists. Uh, but yeah, with each one, there's been a little bit like it almost delves a little bit into a different genre each time. For sure. Yeah. I think that's really well put. And I, I like that you do that. And I think that's one of, for me, I love to take people, which I know you do too, who seem kind of maybe unredeemable in a way or not even unredeemable, but just like you wouldn't like them and then like kind of make them like a little more, you know, understandable by the end of the book, I guess, or like I don't agree with what they did, but I understand a little bit more why they did it. I think that's like a really fun challenge, but that's an interesting point you made too. Kristen Harmel was saying this yesterday about that time where that book is like marinating in your brain, just mm. like what you were hitting. Like it is good when you have a little more time to think about it. I'm a pantser though, but I should probably try to plot a little more than I do. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you've written a bunch of amazing, successful books. So it seems like pantsing is working for you. <laughs> well, you, you know, well, thank you. That's very nice for you to say. But, uh, <laughs> but that's interesting. I always like it when people change a little bit because it, it does show. I mean, we do change and grow and learn and hopefully, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I do hope like I, that I always feel like each book I write is my best book yet. You yes. know, I, th I think I'll have to stop and take a look at myself. If I ever get to a place where yeah. I'm like, oh, this book is not as good as the no, one. No, 100 percent, 100 percent. I agree. I think you always want it to be like, this was my best book. So it's true. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. Um, from the perspective of the reader, we don't know whether any writer is a plotter or a pantser, <clears throat> but it's always kind of cool to see their process and and know what the backstory is to get it to where we get it in our hands. Yeah. Uh, so Laura. It, 
probably goes without saying that most of your readers will never be in the position to resurrect the TV show they were once on as a child star. But there's something really universal about the characters and the ideas here of getting a do-over, maybe rediscovering the child you once were and having the chance to atone for the sins of your past. I mean, one of the things that struck me early on in your book that stayed with me through the whole thing and even now is your phrase, guilt zombies. (laughs) I mean... I actually have to know where that came from. It's, it's it's brilliant. Or maybe even just prove to people that you turned out okay. We thought this was a really nice message that you brought. And it also brings to one of our favorite friends and fiction questions. What do you think this book is really about? Mm. Uh, so I think it's about a lot of a lot of different things. Uh, our relationship with celebrity and particularly mm. the pressures that we put on young women. Um young women in the spotlight, but also young women generally. Um, I think, as you were just saying, a huge part of it for me is about forgiveness, like forgiving other people and also being able to forgive yourself. Because at the end of the day, we are humans and humans make mistakes. And you can't stop that. You can try to be the best person possible, but at some point you're going to hurt somebody or like not live up to who you want to be. And the question is, you know, what do you do to make it right? So I feel like so much of this book is these characters trying to make things right. Um, and the, the tension is like, will they be able to? What yeah. What is enough? <laughs> so, so did you write the book kind of thinking in your head uh, some of the things that you wanted readers to take away? Or did that just kind of bloom through the writing? Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, I did a bunch of research uh, as I was diving into this. And was reading memoirs from some of the stars of the time, was watching a lot of old interviews with them or like old paparazzi videos or reading those terrible blogs from the early 2000s that were just like the meanest things you'd (laughs) ever seen up until that point because social media wasn't a thing. So, you know, we couldn't all be mean. (laughs) Um, Now we can all be really hateful bloggers. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's very little work. (laughs) It's wild. Yeah, I have so many thoughts on the difference between like what it must be like to be a celebrity now with social media versus back in the early 2000s. Um, But yeah, so I was noticing some of these big issues in in the research and I wanted to to tackle them. But I think the nice thing happened that you always hope will happen, which is that like at a certain point early on, your character's start to feel real to you. And they're not just mouthpieces for, you know, your opinions on things. Uh, Those issues and being able to examine those issues arise naturally because you're just like living with these people and seeing what's important to them and what they're going through. You did that really well because I I do think sometimes, you know, you read something and you think, okay, like, thank you for the sermon on blah, blah, blah. And like, but there was none of that, you know, I mean, you, you walk away with this like, distinct impression but you there there was none of that like thank you for coming to my ted talk that i disguised as a novel you know (laughs) (laughs) thank you i'm that is my nightmare that somebody reads one of my books and it's like oh god you know what i'm talking about (laughs) yeah i do I always want my novels to feel like comfort food that turns out to be good for you. You know, you're like gobbling it down and they feel delicious, which you said earlier. And I was like, yes. Um, But then afterwards, it leaves you thinking like, oh, actually, that was better for me than I thought it was. That is such a good description. I love that. I'm going to have to remember that. 
Yeah, okay. Okay. Well, this and is being recorded, so you've yeah, got forever. True. So if I forget, I could just go back, right? <laughs> um, and so along those lines, I mean, you know, we have child star Kat who is uh, leading us on this journey, and she's now very grown up and mature attorney, Catherine. And she's mm-hmm. the only member of the Daydreams that's really tentative about delving back into those old days, which tracks because there's always one person that tries to ruin a reboot, right? I mean, it just yeah. <laughs> it works. But I loved her voice and the idea that she's trying to reinvent herself, which I think is something that, you know, again, child star or not, sometimes, you know, we go through those times in our life. And the thing that I really loved about her is that she has this really like stable, nice, like perfect boyfriend and this very professional job. And it's like, she's trying to talk herself into it, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it felt to me like, you know, no matter how much she tries to resist it, this reboot really is the perfect second chance for her. So I'm just wondering about Catherine's character. Was she, were you thinking of anyone in particular when you came up with her? Was she based on some sort of like overall idea of women in our society. Like, tell us more about her. Cause she was mm. In some ways, Kat started out for me as almost the audience surrogate. You know, she was someone who was involved enough, but she wasn't one of the stars who people right. obsessed over in the same way that people obsess over Summer and Noah, who are like the right. two romantic leads on the show. Um, and so I thought that she could be a really great way in because she's involved in the action, but also so much of it is mysterious to her and she's trying to figure out like what's going on with these other people in the same way that the reader is. It's funny. This is making me um, think about like the earliest writings in this book. And at first when I was thinking about it, I was like, it's the great Gatsby and Kat is Nick and like, summer, you know, summer <laughs> and Noah are Gatsby and Daisy and Kat is telling their story. And then as I got more into it, I was like, oh no, Kat is more than just the narrator, you know, Kat is deeply woven into this too and has so much of her own guilt. Um, and like none of this could have happened without Kat. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think she was actually less based on uh, specific stars than some of the other characters because while there might be some former teen stars who have gone on to become lawyers and tried to leave Hollywood entirely, we're probably not as aware of them. We don't hear about them. Are. Yeah. If they aren't yeah. like, you know, a total train wreck disaster or really famous, we don't hear about the ones in the middle that just like end up being normal again. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, with Kat, you know, she was so interesting to me in that she's someone who clearly like comes alive with creativity Um, but isn't sure if she wants to make that devil's bargain of like giving up her privacy and giving up her normal, calm life. Um, One of the things that made me laugh out loud when her agent, when she talks about her agent being like, maybe you could do a Geico commercial. I think you'd be perfect. Yeah, that's that's great. No, yeah. like, I'm like, no. A what? whole new career. <laughs> right. Just what I've always wanted. Yeah. Kat does yeah. not want to be Flo from Progressive. <laughs> well, I, I'm not, I don't want to give any spoilers, but I want people to really grab this book and, and relish the scene where um, Kat starts to have her guard brought down and, and maybe really think that maybe she could do this again and join them. I thought that was a brilliant scene and I can't wait for people to read it. 
Thank you. <laughs> so in addition to writing novels, we heard in your bio that you write screenplays and best of all, musical comedy, which I'm a big <laughs> fan of. Can yes. you tell us a little bit more about your work outside of novel writing and do the skills you use in these other facets of your work apply to your novel writing? Yeah. So I think actually one of the reasons that I wanted to write this book so badly is that I started out as a performer. Um, I was a huge theater nerd all growing up. And then after college, I moved to New York to try to be an actor. <laughs> um, and, you know, I spent five to 10 years, like slowly starting to write while also auditioning for plays and doing all sorts of weird little shows all over the city. I did like a site-specific play in a graveyard at one point. Wow. Yeah. And at a certain point I was like, maybe, maybe I don't want to be pretending to be like an old timey ghost in a graveyard and getting changed in a tent <laughs> like behind the tombstones. Um maybe that's not the life for me. But uh yes, so through that I started writing novels while also writing other things like trying to write scripts. My very good friend Dominique and I started writing funny songs together um, and then performing them. And I think, you know, the pandemic cut off some performing opportunities, sadly. But yeah, uh, even even now, I like <laughs> semi-embarrassingly make music videos every time a book comes out to try to get people to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that. It's like one of my favorite. They actually like while working on this, uh, went and looked back at like some of your YouTube video. I mean, they're 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 so good. They're so funny. They really are. I was like, this is great. I was like, this is. I could really devote a day here to like watching Laura's videos. So well, later this afternoon, I'm gonna like talk with my friend who's a musician. I think we're like rewriting the Vanessa Carlton song "A Thousand Miles" to, for oh, this book. No. Um, but yeah, I oh, and I get to read my audiobooks too, which is like so fun and allows me to perform still. That's I really. Cool. That. I don't, I I don't think that, that I knew that because I've never. I mean, I've always read your books, but I'm a huge audio fan, and so now I'm kind of like, oh, I'm yeah. This oh, one this has a little bit more of a full cast, which is exciting. <laughs> oh, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I read Cat, but then like there are other voices that come in. Can, can you tell us who some of those are? Uh, who some of the other like actors are, or yeah, who some of the yeah. other characters are? Are the the um, the voice actors? Uh, yeah, their names are. Oh my gosh, there are like five of them: <laughs> um, Tyler Collier, Stephanie Shea, uh, James Foley. <laughs> Okay. I'm like putting you on the spot. I know, I'm sorry. Brandon yeah, Powell I didn't mean to. And Elena Ray. I think mm. that's it. But the full um, cast um, audios are just so amazing. Yeah. And everybody else is super talented. But to go back to the question you asked of if all of that is relevant in writing novels, I really do think it is. You know, being an actor, you spend so much time trying to get into other people's heads um, and thinking about their stories and their motivations. And so the, like those skills transferred directly over to being an author. Right. And there would even be times when I was having trouble getting into a character um, that I was writing where I would like do old acting exercises and walk around like that. You know, what part of their body do they lead from when they walk or what does their voice sound like? So it's, it's actually been very useful. 
That's so interesting because like being someone that's never, you know, I mean, I've never done anything like that. Um, I have no discernible talents and could not be, I wish I could sing. Like, you know, people are like, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? I'm like, I would be a country singer. Now I can't sing, but that wasn't really the question, right? <laughs> I was like, oh, that'd be so great. So I'm very jealous of that, but I've never had, I've never acted really. I mean, you know, besides like the littlest angel in eighth grade or, you know, whatever. <laughs> really. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. you're sharpening but your chops on friends and fiction theater. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you are like a public figure at this point. And I feel like to some extent you have to act a little bit to speak in front of other people. <laughs> that's true. I guess it's true. I guess when you, and I was like, when I started writing, I was terrified of public speaking, like really, I mean, really, really terrified. And I would really have to like, you know, put myself up to do it, but probably some acting training would have helped, but <laughs> okay. I have to ask you because, you know, we talked about it in your bio. Um, tell us the falling off the treadmill story. <laughs> and I have to say, I thought it was like, this really says a lot about Laura and her tenacity. Because if I had fallen off once, I probably would have been like, the workout's over. I'm going yeah. <laughs> to just moving on. <laughs> and you would have been right to do that in this circumstance. <laughs> um, so the the story is that in high school, I decided that like, I was a deeply anxious person. And I was like, I'm not going to be able to get into college if I don't have an athletic interest on my resume. So I should join the track team. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to the gym and I was like, I'm going to practice running on the treadmill and see if I'm a runner. Um, and I was like doing it. I was, you know, 0.3 miles in feeling great visions of my future as the fastest woman in school, like <laughs> flashing in my head. Um, and then my shoelace came untied and I tripped over it. Um, okay. But instead of just sort of like letting myself fall off the back of the treadmill, I grabbed onto, you know, the bar that you can hold on to, to do your heart rate and stuff. Um, I grabbed onto that. So the belt was dragging me backwards while I was clinging for dear life onto the treadmill. It made this horrible screeching noise. Everybody else in the public gym, including like many of my classmates, turned to watch. I eventually let go. I went flying off the back of the treadmill. Oh, my God. Um, but I was like, you know what? I just read an issue of my favorite teen magazine. I think it was probably 17 um, that was talking about what to do in embarrassing moments. And they were like, hold your head high and just keep doing what you're doing. So I was like, thank you, teen magazine. I will take that advice. And I stepped, I tied my shoe and stepped back on the treadmill. But because I was not like a regular treadmill runner, I didn't realize that you had to stop. You needed to stop the machine before you stepped back onto it. So I stepped back onto a moving belt and just immediately face planted and fell off again. Your leg didn't get really hurt. I know. I, I did have like gashes on my knee that took weeks to that's, heal. That's youth, though. You know, when you can fall off a treadmill twice and like pop back up. You know. Oh my God. Yeah. Today I wouldn't be able to walk for weeks. But, um, yeah. Thank you. That was so... that was. That was a really good story. It was actually better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no, it, it gave me well, some Mary Catherine Gallagher vibes. I do remember this. Maybe it's getting a little like meta or something, but I do remember the moment where it went from being this like horrible, shameful thing to being a fun story. And I was with my high school friends in Chipotle. It was maybe like a few months after this had happened. And somebody was like, I heard you fell off a treadmill. What, what happened? And I told the story 
sort of for the first time, like making it funny. Um, and I remember my best friend was like, oh, that's funnier than I thought it was. I thought it was just like really embarrassing. And in that moment, it's like, oh, words, words have power. It is. It's like a very important life moment too, where you, I mean, I remember something happened a couple of weeks ago. And I remember saying to like one of the people, I was like, this is going to be really funny in like a few years. Like it's not funny now. Like now it's like really not funny, but in like five years, we're going to think this is hilarious. You yeah. know, so it is funny when you can kind of, you know, you get that perspective of like your life is not over because something embarrassing happened to you, but it's a funny yeah. anecdote. It's a useful tool to have as a human, the ability to think like, oh, in five to 10 years, yeah. <laughs> it'd be exactly. great to tell at cocktail parties. Exactly. And, and you never know if it'll end up in a book. Yeah. <laughs> so Lori, um, you're obviously a very creative person who has a lot of talents and outlets. Where do you get your inspiration? Oh, uh, I, I mean, I love reading and watching TV and other movies and stuff. And sometimes you see something or read something and it just makes you so excited that you have to like go walk around the block or something because it's, you're like, oh, a writer can do that. Amazing. You know, I remember that happening. (laughs) Like when I finished watching the first season of The Good Place, um, or like yeah. or yeah. recently Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin it made me feel that way. Um, I also just going on long walks is very important to me. So every morning I'll like leave my phone at home, get a coffee and then walk around for like 30 to 45 minutes um, and just imagine things or look at what's in front of me. And I feel like that's that's really helpful for inspiration. Nice, mm-hmm. nice. So um, a lot of people are aspiring writers who listen to us. Do you have any tips for people that uh, might want to really tap into that the way you have? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say if you can find a writing community, I find that so helpful. Just having other people who understand and who you can talk out you know, your character problems with or trade pages with, or even just be like, writing is so hard, isn't it? And they can be like, yeah, why do we do it? We love it. Um, you know, that I would recommend that if, whether it's like from signing up for a writing class in your community, or I know there are Facebook groups that you can go to, to find other aspiring writers or current, uh, currently published writers. Um, yeah, that's probably my number one piece of advice. I have a writing group now, and I could not have written the daydreams without their incredible feedback. That's that's nice. really interesting. I love that you do that. Um, okay, so I know some writers hate this question, and some love it. I tend to like it. I don't know, um, but we obviously know you're busy working on like a human right now. So that <laughs> is that is really probably the most important thing you've got going on. But are you working on anything else right now? I am. Yes. I have the morning sickness. (laughs) Oh my God. I have to tell you, like, so I had this new book that I'm in revisions on now, but I was finishing the first draft of it when I was like hardcore first trimester morning sickness. And I was trying to write a love scene at one point. And I was just like, <laughs> you know, it was hard to get myself in the the right headspace for mm-hmm. any of that. Like, but. This is just really not my moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but this one's uh, a little bit more of a love story than I've written previously, uh, taking place over the course of ten years from you know these characters in their mid twenties to their mid thirties, um, which I feel like is such a 
fascinating and confusing stage of your life where suddenly everyone, like all your friends start moving in different directions and hitting milestones at different times. Um, yeah. yeah. So exploring those sorts of things. That is, you're right. It's, it is a real, I think about that a lot. It's a really, really interesting time of life because people are in such very, you know, different spaces and like these people that you've, you know, been in this little pod with your whole life. And then all of a sudden, like you're doing this and they're doing this and it's at very different rates. And anyway, yeah. it's very, very interesting. Well, so am I going to get to an early read? That's the most important thing I have to ask. Obviously, if you want it. <laughs> Put you on that list. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. I look forward to anything that you have coming. <laughs> Thank we you. Can't wait. Um, so we know our listeners are going to want to keep in touch with you. I recently started um, checking out your Instagram and I just saw that hysterical video about sleep and you having <laughs> the stress dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so other than that, in addition to that, can you tell people where they can find you online? Yeah. So my website is laurahankin.com and that should have all the important information about book tour and my novels and other writing clips and stuff like that. Uh, then yes, I would say I'm most active on Instagram at Laura Hankin, uh, followed by TikTok now. <laughs> I'm trying oh. to be better at TikTok. <laughs> so love it. That's great. Yeah. Well, Laura, thank you so much for spending time with us during this very, very busy season of your life. We, um, as I think we made clear, are so excited about yeah. the daydreams. And we really mm -hmm. urge our friends and fiction community to pick up a copy on our bookshop.org page or at their local independent bookstore or anywhere books are sold. I noticed that you do have a few tour dates coming up. If people want to come see you, where can they come see you? And is there anywhere they can order signed copies? Yes. Uh, if they want signed copies, they can get them from East City Bookshop in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think when you pre-order or order, just put a little note in saying that you want it signed. Um, and then, yeah, the book tour. I have my launch event here in D.C. at East City. And then I'm going to New York and I'll have two events there, one in Brooklyn and one in Manhattan. Um, and then... LA mid-May, <laughs> uh, figured I should go to, you know, one of the main settings of the book and then might add like a couple other dates as well. Um, that's but that's sort of the high notes there. So you're, you're good. Yeah. <laughs> Getting the coasts, like, good. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Laura, thank you so much for joining us. This has been terrific. And as I hope, you know, we adored the book. We loved it. We laughed and it really <laughs> kind of hit our heart a little bit. And I, I hope everybody runs out and gets a copy. Thank you so much. It has been such a pleasure talking with you both. And Christy, like after we've communicated so much. Uh, you I know. know. It's really funny. Well, and, it, and I, I was having one of those moments, like when you came on the screen, I was like, oh, like I'm one of those people. Cause I feel like I know you. Cause I follow you on social media and I like hear your voice on your videos. And then I'm like, yeah. I actually don't know her. I really don't. And it's, it's so funny. It's like such a weird experience to actually finally talk to you. So thanks for coming. <laughs> My pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> awesome. And as always, we thank our listeners for joining us. You are the reason we love what we do, and we can't fully express how much your support means. We hope you will continue to listen each week, and please be sure and tell a friend. Thank you for tuning in to the Friends in Fiction Writer's Block Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast platform. Tune in every Friday for another episode. And you can also join us every week on Facebook or YouTube, where our live 
Friends and Fiction show airs at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are so glad you're here. Produced by Autovita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.